Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 186. And welcome to September. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Summer is almost over. The leaves are changing. Schools are back in session. New revelations about Trump's shadiness and sloppiness continue to pop up like wildfires across America in this unprecedented drought season. And as this wild, dark, and tumultuous summer comes to a close, it's very much a time to stay vigilant. Feds say this, that they developed evidence that government records were likely concealed and removed from the storage room at Mar-a-Lago and that efforts were likely taken to obstruct the government's investigation. This filing included a remarkable photo that you see here. Documents uh, and yellow and red cover sheets, very important here, recovered from a container spread out on the floor by the FBI. Here you see those classified markings like top secret, secret, sensitive compartmented information. The photo of the classified documents Trump had at Mar-a-Lago is like one from a PowerPoint briefing in Army basic training. It's a case study in what not to do, unless you want to go to jail. It's outrageous, it's unprecedented, it's dangerous, and it's probably criminal. And our enemies are celebrating. Anyone who's ever been around classified documents understands how bad this really is. It's drilled into every enlistee in every branch of the entire U.S. military. Everyone who's ever been in uniform gets it. We all understand that when it comes to classified documents, lives are at stake. Our national security is at stake. And stakes is high. And the stakes just got much higher for Donald Trump and for our covert operators in harm's way right now around the world and for all Americans. And military veterans get it uniquely, similarly uniquely to how we get Afghanistan, to how we get extremism, to how we get guns. Vets are trusted in America uniquely. And we'll see that play out in the 2022 midterms this fall and maybe in 2024 in the presidential, especially if you have Navy veteran Ron DeSantis, Navy vet Pete Buttigieg, and others running for president. Vets are key to 2022 and 2024 and beyond. They're a group that are uniquely trusted, uniquely powerful, and uniquely independent. Roughly half of veterans in America identify themselves as political independents. In Pennsylvania, for example, that means one out of every two of your fellow veterans is denied the right to vote in a primary election. And last week, a group called Ballot PA launched a campaign for vets to repeal closed primaries to highlight the disproportionate impact that closed primaries have on our veterans community in Pennsylvania specifically. The mission is led by veterans and community leaders from across Pennsylvania, including former Pittsburgh Steeler great and Vietnam veteran Rocky Blyer. 
And according to Ballot PA research, half of the veterans in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania identify themselves as political independents. That means with more than 800,000 veterans living in Pennsylvania, about 400,000 may be registered as independents. Pennsylvania is one of only nine states denying these veterans the right to vote in primaries. And the great Rocky Blyer nailed it in this ad. Hi, I'm Rocky Blyer. If you are old enough, you may remember me for the years I played with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You may know I'm also a veteran. I served in the United States Army during the Vietnam War, where I was seriously wounded, earning the Bronze Star and a Purple Heart. That's why I'm concerned by the fact that Pennsylvania denies independent voters the right to vote in primary elections. It's an archaic law. You see, half of all veterans identify as political independents. That veterans choose to register as independents doesn't surprise me. When you fight for our country and our freedom, you're not fighting for Republicans or Democrats. You're not on the red team or the blue team. You're on the red, white, and blue team. That's why it's particularly disappointing to know that independent voters are barred from primary elections in Pennsylvania. How would you explain to a young man or woman returning to their family in Pennsylvania from their service in Iraq or Afghanistan that they can't cast a vote in a primary election? That's un-American. Now it's time we do something similar in Pennsylvania. Veterans have been at the forefront of movements to make voting more fair in America throughout history. At one time, the voting age was 21, and the Vietnam War made it glaringly clear that 18-year-olds were old enough to fight and die for our country, but not to vote. And so in 1971, swift ratification of the 26th Amendment lowered the voting age to 18. When vets are denied the right to vote, America listens. And this show supports the launch of the Ballot PA Veterans to Repeal Close Primaries campaign, because no veteran should be barred from participating in the democracy they risk their lives for. This is an important effort for Pennsylvania, for independent Americans, for vets who are independent Americans, and for all Americans. We've said it on this show so many times. Independent doesn't only mean the middle. It doesn't mean moderate. It means none of the above. And the solution is not a new party founded by Republicans or Democrats who switched jerseys just a couple weeks ago. The solution is fixing a broken election system. We've covered it in different ways on this show for years now. We've had folks from all sides on the issue. And so, in a related update, and an issue we covered in the last episode, for days, I heard nothing from Andrew Yang's team after they bagged on us late last week, after repeated outreach. It had been a week. I sent three emails to his staff. I tweeted about it. Many of you tweeted about it. And still, nothing. And if you hadn't seen it yet, we started posting social media using the hashtag, Where is Yang? And this song was starting to seem fitting. And then, because I didn't want to give up, and because so many of you responded and reached out to me and him on social media, and because I really wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, I tried him on Twitter DM today. 
It was the social media outreach equivalent of a Hail Mary. And I told him, hey, man, we've never met. So I wanted to go above and beyond and try to reach you directly. I never assume anything gets to a principal unless I hear from them. Please DM, email, call anytime. And I hope we can meet one day virtually or in real life. Thanks for your time and leadership. And wouldn't you know it, the magic of social media, it worked. And I heard back from Andrew Yang six minutes later. Hooray. Andrew said he'll work it out with the team and that it was probably a scheduling thing. And he said he will come on the show for sure. So hooray. At some point, we will finally have a long overdue conversation with Andrew Yang. And it's one we can all look forward to. <laughs> I'll be sure to keep you updated as soon as we nail down a date, hopefully one that's before the election, an election that will be the most critical election for independent Americans in a generation. Independents are the future of American politics. And since 50% of veterans call themselves independents, veterans are the key to the future of American politics too. My good friend and Iraq vet Dave Chastine used to say, if America was a religion, veterans would be the clergy. They're often the keepers of the flame in America, the guardians of our democracy. We saw that especially in the final months of Trump's presidency, when Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Mark Milley held the line and refused to deploy troops against civilians, against voting machines, against Trump's enemies. We saw Milley, people like Colonel Alex Vindman and others who stood as guardrails for our democracy in ways that we still don't fully understand. Vets have helped protect America from enemies foreign and domestic, and they continue to do so with examples like Republican Air Force veteran Adam Kinzinger and Democrat Navy vet Elaine Loria, who serve on the January 6th committee. Veterans can change the game and maybe even change our politics. And our guest in this episode is a fantastic example. His campaign posters didn't say Democrat for Congress. They said veteran for Congress. And that appealed to Democrats, Republicans, and independents especially. He's a guy who set the political world on fire as he continues right now to help fight wildfires just miles from where I'm recording this. He's a man I've known well for years, a leader I'm honored to call a friend, and now to call my congressman, a guy who has sparked hope, optimism, and good feelings to end the summer across New York and across America. He's Congressman-elect from New York's 19th District, Pat Ryan. Sometimes I get a good feeling, yeah. I get a feeling that I never, 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 never had before. No, no, I get a good feeling, yeah. Now, this is just a great summer song. And Pat Ryan is a great summer story. He's a fifth-generation Ulster County native. He's a combat vet, a small business owner, and he's a county executive for Ulster County, which is about two hours north of New York City. He lives in Gardner, New York, with his wife, Rebecca, and two young kids. His life was shaped by a desire to serve his community. He grew up in Kingston, New York's original capital, where his mom, Patty, was a public school teacher, and his father, Kevin, ran a small business. They taught Pat to have an obligation to give back to the community and take care of everyone in it, especially the most vulnerable among us. He graduated from Kingston High School and started his service by attending West Point, 
He deployed for two combat tours in Iraq as an Army intelligence officer, which I'll ask him about specifically as it relates to the news that Trump had top secret documents hanging all around Mar-a-Lago, like golf balls and empty McDonald's wrappers and empty drinking cups from Rudy Giuliani's exploits. But back to Pat. After leaving the military, he started a small tech company, which he grew to over 150 employees. He was a job creator, and he joined in serving his fellow veterans as a member of the board of directors for Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, IAVA, alongside me and others. In 2019, Pat was elected to serve as Ulster County Executive, which is kind of like governor for the county. He took the county through the pandemic. He spearheaded a really big effort to transform an old IBM site that had sat for decades dormant. He provided direct relief to small businesses. He built supportive and affordable housing. He invested in mental health. He focused on veterans. And interestingly, as a Democrat, he never raised taxes. Pat talks a lot about his time as a cadet at West Point, where he learned and lived by the motto, duty, honor, country. Pat's run for Congress has brought that ethos in front of America, and he hopes to bring it to Washington, where Lord knows we need it. Pat took an oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. With our democracy under threat right now, with women's rights to health care under threat right now, with our national security under threat right now from domestic extremists, Pat is stepping up to protect all our freedoms. And his election is a case study in focus, planning, and heart. And a case study in how to appeal to independence in 2022. I'll talk to him about that specifically. I'll talk about how he pulled off the political win of the summer, how he redefined freedom for elections. I'll talk about how he fought high gas prices, utility companies, Trump, abortion rollbacks, and his own party. We'll talk about what rural voters really want and how he feels about open primaries and ranked choice voting. Welcome to an examination of politics in this moment. Welcome to a postmortem on what it really takes to win in 2022. Welcome to a case study in how to appeal to independent American voters. And welcome to a reason to have hope for the future and good feelings to end the summer. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 186. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country, around the world, and especially in New York, especially in New York's 19th Congressional District, and especially in the great Ulster County, I am very proud to have a very exciting guest, an old friend of mine, uh, a darling of American politics right now, uh, and a, in my opinion, a truly great American, the great and powerful Congressman-elect Pat Ryan is here on Independent Americans. Welcome, my friend. I finally made it, Paul. I got the invite. You know, that's when you know. That's when you know. Dude, you got the invite everywhere in the last week. 
And yeah. I, w- I want to talk about that. Uh, I want to talk about your election. I want to talk about your leadership. I want to talk about a lot of things. Um, but I want to start by welcoming you. And I was trying to think about when we first met, man. I think did Scott Feldmeyer maybe put us in touch yes. through like the West about Point I- Network before you yeah. joined the IAVA board many years ago, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I already knew I already knew you, but you didn't know me. So I had followed and um, looked up to you for for a long time. So it was cool to to get to meet you and get to know you and get to build a real friendship. And um, I'm a huge fan. So, well, back at you, man. Part of why I didn't know you is because you were an Intel officer. And <laughs> as as we'll talk about, you're not supposed to put everything about Intel out on the floor of your mansion or out for the public to consume. Um, but I want to get into that as well. Let me start by asking you a question, Pat. I ask everybody, where are you and how are you? Uh, I am sitting at my campaign office in Kingston, New York, which is, which is where I grew up and, um, I'm good. It's been a real whirlwind of a week. Uh, it's been just a little over a week since the special election, but really basically a week because the, the thing got called so late on Tuesday night that. Uh, we kind of, you know, I didn't sleep for, for a few days straight there. And so I finally had a chance this weekend to, uh, like go to a, go to a minor league baseball game with my kids and, and actually talk to my wife and sleep. Um, so I feel, I feel good. And some of the, some of the gravity of what happened is finally starting to, uh, settle in here, which is, which is pretty cool. It's very cool. I mean, it's, it's a great American success story. It's a great political story. It's a great leadership story. It's a great local story. You were at the ballpark of the great Hudson Valley Renegades. I think I might've been driving by uh, on 84 <laughs> nice. of my kids when the game was going on. Probably um, in traffic. Which, yeah, which I highly <laughs> recommend to everybody. But I, I want to ask you this because I had, I've had Buddha judge on, I've had other people on like around the time they kind of explode. And that's a really surreal experience. And you're going through that right now. I remember it myself when I did the response to the presidential radio address in 2004. And I went from, you know, I I wrote this in my book. I was like playing blackjack with my brother and my dad in the Palms in Vegas, you know, with the dealer. And then the next day I was on with like Paul Azan and George Stephanopoulos. And it's a total mind fuck. Like it's not a normal experience. So, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, can you just reflect on that and what that, what that like political, uh, superstardom has, has been like, I mean, you you had a couple of factors, a great story. You're great, but also, you know, end of August, people need kind of a different news. So you had a a lot of things lined up for you. And now you've been on almost every, at least left of center and center political show. I don't know if you've been on Fox and the right side yet, but, um, what's that been like for, for you, man? completely surreal uh extremely humbling i've been i was so exhausted both physically and emotionally <laughs> that i was in this weird like autopilot mode um my bad joke which may or may not translate to folks is like the will ferrell character in old school when he gives that like amazing answer in the the debate and then he like snaps back out of it uh, so I kind of felt like that <laughs> and still do, but, um, it, you know, um, I'm like, mostly I just feel a lot of pride. I, I really, it's sort of like, you, you know, your community has this in it, in, in, in them and you, the, the spotlight shifts to your community for even a second. 
And we got to send this really freaking powerful message, I think, about our country and about our democracy. And I'm like swell with pride when, when I think about that. I, w- I want to dig deeper in that. There's, I had an, an, another movie reference, which is like, I think all of us who know you and love you and respect you kind of feel like um, Woody Harrelson watching Rosie Perez on Jeopardy and White Man Can't Jump, right? Like Rosie's been a guest on the show. I hope Woody can be, but like we're seeing you out there just crushing it and we knew you had it in you and now you're on this stage and full disclosure, everybody I think knows I I support you and have been a longtime supporter of you and your campaign. And I'm an independent. I've said this to you before and I've said it to other friends like Wes Moore has been on the show and, and, you know, Kinzinger and others, like, I don't care what party you run from, I'm going to root for you. And I would love it if you ran from no party at all, but you know, you're a guy that I'm going to root for. And I brought something out for you Um, for folks watching on video. This is the biggest bottle of champagne I've ever gotten. And I'm going to tell you what it is. I got this from Rachel Maddow when I stepped down after running IAVA for 14 years. And I felt like I needed to save it. And I was going to save it for when um, my kid was born or when Trump got defeated. But now I think I think I'm going to send it to you and ask you to pass it on to someone else when okay. there's like a super historical moment. So. Wow. The gigantic, I mean, this is, I don't know how many milliliters this is. This is like, it's enormous. It's three liters. It's, it was bigger than my son when I got it from Rachel. Wow. Um, that's, um, holy shit, man. That's, yeah. uh, that's pretty powerful. I'm going to, wow. I'll figure out a way to get it to you. Um, but let me ask you, building on that, you got little kids, man. Your kids are a little bit younger than mine. I, you know, I was trying to explain to my boys because I live now in the county that you represented. I'm, I'm a constituent. And we drive around and we see your signs. And I told my boys, I said, our friend Pat won. And and my boys have been, every time they saw a Pat sign, they'd say, there's, there's a sign, there's a sign. <laughs> what did you tell, you know, I know your little one is, little Theo is what, three now? Like, what, what yeah. did you tell your son that night or since then? How did you explain this to him? Um, I don't, uh, I mean, we, my, my wife said, dad, dad won a race and he thought it was a, uh, a car race and he was very <laughs> excited about that. <laughs> um, so I, we haven't been able to like sort of explain that significance, but, um, somebody actually said to me this morning, I was catching up with an old friend. They're like, you should just take, take a few moments and write a few like kind of thoughts down to share with your kids when, when you can share it and they can appreciate it. So I'm going to try to do that. But, um, you know, I, uh, I, when I was in, in 2017, when I was, I left the private sector stuff I was doing at a tech company and wanted to get in the political arena. And there's this, um, this great group called new politics that helps, veterans transition to running for office. I, I would not be uh, anywhere near uh, at this point where I am without them. So I want to thank them and Emily Chernak and Seth, Congressman Seth Moulton. Um, they, they had us do this exercise of doing this sort of internal work and thinking about like what drives you, um, what sort of is the fire for you internally. And one of the exercises was talk about what the world would look like if you weren't, if you weren't, uh, like in the fight, in the political arena. And, and they, they did both a positive and a negative, but I didn't have kids at the time. We had just gotten married, my wife and I. And I wrote this thing about really worrying that my two boys would fight in World War III as this like 
dark vision because I asked you like what what is the darkest vision of right. where you think things could go and and she was like why are you saying that like we don't even have kids like what are you talking about um and now that I have like two kids and two boys and I and I see what's happening in the world in in, in our sort of global instability and I am still very worried about that is what I'm trying to say and we need people at the table a lot of people at the table who get the gravity of that, who understand the history of, of how fragile our democracy is, how fragile the whole global order is. And um, so for me, it's like that direct line from my kids to this importance of, of, of our democracy and, and having a sound foreign policy as well. I, th- I think there's a lot of, this is going to be a bit of a Pat Ryan love fest, but that's okay. Because I think part of this show has always been about raising up voices and trying to talk about what's most important. And I think, you know, one thing I've been, I've been texting folks who know you, you know, Willie Geist has been on the show, Tommy Vitor, other folks. And I said, look, you know, Pat's a nice guy. He's got a good heart. He's a pure heart. He's the real deal. He's not like a lot of the other assholes and bullshitters you have on your shows. And that's the truth. And I'm going to put that out there. You may not be able to say that, but I think it resonates. Um, And so many of the messages you've put forward have resonated. Um, And I want to talk about that because your your special election was unique, right? You and I talked candidly. It was going to be about turnout. Your communications director said it's going to be about turnout. There were two other primaries where I talked about this in the show last week. My wife is a Democrat and is registered as Democrat and voted in your election, the special election and the primary. I was only allowed to vote in your special election, which I think is bullshit and we can talk about separately. But that was the strategy for the special election. Right. Now you're transitioning into a general election in a redistricted uh, a congressional seat um, with a different audience for a November election, which is only a couple weeks away, m- months away. Um, and, and a lot of things I think that you did well in the primary may resonate even more powerfully. Uh, sorry, in the special may, may resonate even more powerfully in this upcoming election. And over your shoulder for folks who are watching is, is an example. Um, and you and I talked about this. All your signs say veteran for Congress. It doesn't say Democrat for Congress. And I think that's a tweak that really worked in a place like Ulster County and will work in a general going forward. And a lot of what you've done that I want to pull apart are things that I think are a playbook for Democrats on how to appeal to independent Americans. And maybe you didn't have that many turnout in the special. Who knows? You you may have that data. But I think in the fall, building on that is the real takeaway. Choice, you know, your focus on choice is going to be important. But I pulled out a couple of things you focused on. You put veteran on your sign. You talked about utility prices. You have a new ad where you, where you talk about, you didn't raise taxes. I never heard a Democrat say, I don't raise taxes, right? And you're saying that. And you also um, use a word that I don't hear Democrats talk a lot about, freedom. And you structured it all in this, basically, I'm going to say in a way you can't. Americans kind of want to be left the fuck alone And especially in rural areas, like where I live now, where you live, a lot of people are up here in in the rural areas because they want to be left the fuck alone. And they want you to leave their bodies alone. You want to leave your guns alone, right? They want you to leave their their taxes alone. And you tapped into that in a powerful way. And I wanted to ask you to talk about that, right? Because I really think it's a playbook, not just on how to win a special, but how to appeal to independent Americans who care about national security, who care about taxes, who care about freedom, who care about integrity, who do care about national security. I know you, you said in another show, you didn't hear a lot of folks talking about Ukraine, but I really think that's a huge takeaway here. And I, I want to ask you to talk about that. 
Well, cr- some, some credit to, to the host for the veteran for Congress uh, idea on our signs to, to give full credit where it's due. I remember that conversation with you. Um, one thing I'm decent at is taking good advice from smarter people than me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think w- I've been really deliberate about thinking about creating an umbrella of a concept of freedom that people can get behind rather than feeling like they don't have a place. I think there's a lot of people politically and in other dimensions of their lives, but politically that feel like they don't have a place right now. And going back to some universal foundational values and principles, but then linking specific things happening in the moment to that wider umbrella. So the decision to rip away a fundamental right whether you even agree with that right or not, by the way, strikes at that chord. And that's what I think is happening in the country. The, the Dobbs decision represents that extreme direction of, of one element of one party, but it, but it typifies this sort of hopefully near the, the, the furthest extreme, although I fear it could keep going here um, in our politics. And people soundly rejected that from and, and we're going through the data right now. We'll have a lot more once the results are certified. But we know there were a lot of crossover votes. There were a lot of non-party affiliated votes for me. I got a, a bunch of emails. One that really sticks in my head is a, a woman wrote in and said her 80-year-old dad had never voted Democrat in his life, voted for me in the special election specifically because of my position on abortion rights. That is not something that I think people thought was the case in America. Like, I don't think pe- people stop talking about to each other about this and, and, and understanding that people are really smart and their guts are really attuned. And something like that just strikes people as I think un-American. And so talking about it that way, I think is extremely important, not just politically, but frankly, morally right now in the country. Cause you read Thomas's Justice Thomas's opinion, and he lays out that it's not a slippery slope because he laid out the slope. Like he laid out what's next, and I think that is not who we are as a country, really. Mm. And reminding people that is super, super important. The other thing that I just think is extremely critical, and you know, you you, you and my wife have taught me some of this, Paul. Um, we got to fight, like. You have to show people what you believe, what you're willing to fight for, that you have real conviction, that it's authentic to you. And they're not going to agree with you on all of that, but they are going to respect the, 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 the sort of fighting spirit, especially when it comes from like a place of love and patriotism and, and a positive place. Like fighting on a, for a righteous cause is, is mobilizing fighting for yourself or partisan gain is as cynical as you can get. And I, and people see right through that. I I think that's right. And I think that there's a Democrats are quick to spike the ball Uh, and, and they, and they love to latch on to the hope and, and the promise in a way that is sometimes delusional in my view. Right. And, and now there is a, a love fest around Pat Ryan and this election that I think is really important in understanding democratic politics as well, because I'm going to say it straight up. They can't replicate you 
because it's you. Like, I think there's a lot of things that were unique to you that they think, oh, I'm going to just use the Pat Ryan playbook and I'm going to talk about freedom or I'm going to you know, talk about choice in this way. But you're fourth generation from this area. You went to high school in this area. You had business in this area. You you were a county executive, and I was a constituent for two years. You were so sick of getting texts from me when I would tell you, hey, man, you know, the power lines are down on 28, right? But also, I remember a day, and I know a lot of people in the county remember this, when my kids had a, had a trailer at their school and the power went down, we couldn't get the power on. And I called you and said, Pat, the, the principal can't get the power on. Can you make this happen? And you made it happen. And you were doing that on the ground politics in this county for years and people saw that. But I also think the fighting spirit is really important. And Democrats have tried it before in districts that aren't winnable. We've had Amy McGrath on here. She said, if I, if I was Jesus Christ, I wouldn't win as a, as a Democrat in Kentucky. So I think they've got to be aware about trying to replicate something that's not really replicable because it's you. And, and I, I want to ask you, about that candidly, because going into a general, you're facing uh, a you know pretty hard right guy who is uh, you know a trumper essentially, right? And it's going to be a different race than before. So how do you build on that and approach it in a way where, candidly, being a Democrat is going to hurt you in some areas, right? In Dutchess County, you know you, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to look better as a veteran than as a Democrat. How do you parse that and getting the support of the party and going on MSNBC, but still going into Dutchess County and trying to convince independents and Republicans to vote for you and not the other guy? We are not going to really change the strategy because I think we've tapped something that does transcend the, the partisan idea, at least for enough enough people that still believe in America. So uh, we're really not going to change that and. Um, all the, all the experts, air quotes, told me not to do like 90% of the things we did in this race. (laughs) So, you know, we are going to continue to, I think your point about doing what is authentic to you and to the district is the takeaway here. It is not that we can carbon copy these campaigns because that never works. And it comes across as phony carbon copy bullshit. And people see right through it because we are our minds and brains are trained to see through bullshit so we can stay alive. Um, and so that is, has to be a takeaway. And I've been really deliberate to say, I, I have little advice that one, I think is smarter than anybody else. And two is, is hugely transferable somewhere else. People have to run their own um, campaigns. My, my opponent in November though, and the race is in, 69 days, which is daunting and exciting at the same time. Um, I mean, this guy represents, I think, that real threat to our democracy. He cheered on and sent off two busloads of protesters to January 6th. He's taken a bunch of campaign contributions from Rudy Giuliani. There are active Proud Boy and Oath Keeper chapters in our community that vocally support him that he won't condemn. I mean, there's a lot of other issues where he's got, he, he, he is extreme on uh, gun safety. He's extreme on very extreme on abortion rights. I mean, he thinks that doctors and nurses should go to jail for treating victims of rape and incest. I mean, it, it's, he, he really does personify that threat. And, I, and I'm not trying to be negative. I, I really am not. I'm just trying to be clear. That's the other difference here too, is like, we've pulled our punches so long on these threats that 
they snuck up on us and now we're in a position where we almost have to overcorrect. And I, and I hate to do that because I don't want to be dark and negative, but if we don't show people what the stakes are, our democracy is in real trouble. I, I'm so glad you pulled that apart because there's another part of this that's hard to replicate that people don't want to say out loud, which is you're a white guy running against another white guy. And you and I both know, you know, there are, there are deeply entrenched racist parts of this district and every other district in the country. Um, and, and you are harder to paint as, as like a Nancy Pelosi, San Francisco, you know, um, not white, scare the shit out of people. I'm, I, I'm just going to say it for what it is, but I think it's true that I think that there is a racial dynamic, especially in play in districts like this. And when you're an Irish Catholic, um, or, you, you know, you have a name like Ryan, you grew up in the area, you're a white guy running against another white guy, you know, you're going to get folks that that maybe aren't gettable for other people. And that includes independents and that includes Republicans peeling off older Republicans like the guy you talked about who's who's 80 years old. Um, can I ask you, you know, it's an overwhelmingly white district, right? Um, it's not like other parts of the country, but it was also what I call like a COVID district. And I don't know if there's data. There might be no other district in America that had more Democrats move into it from an urban area. But can you talk about that? Because that might be something for Democrats actually to pull on. It's probably true outside of Philly, outside of Dallas, outside of Miami. A lot of Democrats left the cities and went for the country. And they were all, I mean, what, 90% of them are probably Pat Ryan voters. Did you guys have any data on that or any takeaways about that piece in particular? The, from a sort of nerdy political perspective, yeah. the Hudson Valley is this inc really interesting like test case of what happens when relatively rapid change in enrollment of, you know, I growing up in Ulster County, it was like Republican. I mean, very different Republican, yeah. but to the point that like, if you weren't a Republican, you couldn't like get jobs or you couldn't get, get clients at your business or whatever the case may be that very old school, like establishment corrupt thing. Um, and so to see in, in basically one generation that completely turn over where now Ulster County in particular was really the powerhouse that powered the win, our win in the special election, the margin there, the relative vote share of Ulster, um, is, is, is big and there's certainly a partisan piece to that no doubt a lot of a lot of the folks either moving here part uh, you know full-time that have been part-time are, are democrats we, we see that in the data i think one thing that people really miss here from a national analysis perspective that you'll appreciate i or at least could could disagree with uh with authority leading the the, the county through the pandemic that ended up being the single biggest county in the congressional district that ended up disproportionately turning out for me um, and providing the win margin plus more is really important, I think. And the Ulster voter data in particular showed huge crossover of Republicans and independents. And I think this is an extremely important and optimistic point, which is that if you actually freaking deliver for people, they like that yeah. and they vote for you again. And so, you know, all the, all the hot takes nationally of D versus R and yes, we centered Roe and we centered Dobbs, but like 
I still think there's no way to ever know this definitively that delivering for people during the pandemic, standing up against Central Hudson as they screwed over people on utility bills, standing against a tax break at a car dealership when people were furious about that. Like, I believe that though delivering at the local level and fighting for people at the local level does often matter as much or more. And, and that that really was a big part of what happened here. And sh- that should be a takeaway, I hope, is that competent governance leads to political success, which is a moral victory as well for democracy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, it's one of the things that I think is unique about veterans is that they get shit done. They are practical. They are pragmatic. They know how to get things done in difficult situations. And one of my great takeaways from this period is my father and brother, my brother lives in Dutchess County. My father lives on on Putnam on the border of Westchester. And they'd come visit my kids and they go, shit, gas prices are cheaper over here. And they'd wait till they got here and they'd fill up and then they'd drive back. Right. And it was like, I don't know, sometimes 40 cents a gallon difference. I was in Westchester County yesterday and I came here. I think it's 40 cents a gallon cheaper. You know, and you, can you talk about that issue? Um, what did you do? Why is it different in Ulster? And how is that um, a political deliverable for anybody that will resonate this year? Yeah, I had to battle actually a bunch of Democrats in my county legislature to approve ultimately in a bipartisan way cutting our county gas tax in half, which was an immediate way to help people at the pump, especially in a community like ours, where, you know, Paul, like you have no other choice. Unfortunately, we are bolstering our public transit system, but we need a lot more investment there. So work, childcare, school, uh, grocery, you're in the car. And so the impacts of gas prices are so disproportionately affect people that are already struggling and already tight. And um, I, had, yeah, I had to battle a bunch of sort of ideological purist Democrats to push that relief through, but you, you see it. And um, yeah, it was interesting towards the closing end of the special election, there were some fun comparisons happening on Twitter, actually organically, where we were comparing gas prices in Ulster and Duchess. We we're comparing violent crime rates in Ulster and Duchess. We're comparing per individual property tax rates. And in every dimension, we deliver. We did better. We were either lower or higher, depending, you know, in in the direction that you would want on all those indicators. And again, I think it's like people are smart. They see what's happening or not. Uh, You can say all the words all day long, but it just gets tuned out. And so our, our most recent ad for the new campaign that we just put out talks about cutting the gas tax, talks about small business relief, talks about um, increasing funding to our, our violent crime task force and, and, and public safety. Again, things that I don't know why we shy away from these things in any party, because that's what people need and, and want. They want safety, they want relief, uh, and they want someone who, who's going to fight for them. I, I think this this is a time to kind of expose the fake politicians and the consultant created campaigns and the people who don't really know 
the communities, the needs, the, you're an advocate, right? Like as Ulster County executive, it's, it's a lot like a public advocate role, which I think is, is part of why, you know, Bill de Blasio became mayor and others, right. They, they used a public advocate role. Tish James is another great example, right. In New York that now is, you know, <laughs> everywhere. But I think that there's an advocacy on behalf of the community that you captured and, and are a part of that was really authentic. I mean, yesterday I was at my dad's house and I, I was low on gas. I literally said, I'm only going to put like five or 10 bucks in until I get home and I'm going to fill up back in Ulster. And other people are making that same calculation. I said this to you before. If you were able to say to everybody, hey, I'll fix your Wi-Fi and make sure your phones don't drop, you'll be elected for life. I mean, that's the deliverables that people want. But I want to ask you um, a question that's just just related to all of this. And I'm something I want to bring up on this show more often. I asked you about open primaries. And as independent Americans, I'm going to focus a lot more on open primaries, on ranked choice voting, on the things that independents want to see, um, because right now there's also an effort underway to block independents in states that will disenfranchise tens of millions of voters and half of veterans are independents. So can you talk about that? Because I don't know if Democrats are going to support open primaries and ranked choice voting. But what's your view on that and, and the road forward? I support open primaries. I support, I very much support ranked choice. I support, um, and this is something that I didn't initially and didn't really realize the, the power, um, some level of public campaign finance uh, to, to try to help take the money out of politics. I think the New York City lessons learned are actually not what I necessarily expected, but I've been largely positive. You look at um, how ranked choice played out and how their public campaign finance played out in their last few elections, I think it's encouraging um, as, a, as a sort of local or well, really national example in New York City. Um, I also uh, support term limits. I think serving for your entire lifetime is not the way that the founders intended these at least legislative uh, jobs to be. And, and obviously, we've already put term limits on executive jobs. The, one of the first things I did as county exec is term limit myself. Uh, and that felt, that felt good. And my wife also <laughs> appreciated it. <laughs> but, you know, we got it. The structures are aligned to put people in their corners. And what you're saying, I agree with 100%. We got to reform the structures so that we can give space for people to have a home again in, politically. I'm, I'm going to say this out loud often in the next couple of months. And, you know, Andrew Yang is in the spotlight. He's still not on our show. I hope he listen, listens to this. I hope he's been seeing our outreach and he joins us. You know, there's this very powerful independent movement, but we've also got to hold elected leaders accountable. And I think if you ran an ad, and this is consulting out loud, right? Like if you ran out and said, hey, independents, if I get elected, I'll make sure you can vote in primaries. I think that's a winning issue if you want to attract independence, maybe more than anything else in America, rather than talking about gas prices or taxes or trying to split the difference on the Second Amendment or row. Like, just say to them, hey, I'll make sure you don't get blocked. And and that has a lot of potential. Um, and I and I hope that other Democrats will follow your lead on that because I think it's good for America and it'll help them win. It's, you know, a double bottom line piece. Um Pat, just going to current news, and I know you got to go. Hopefully, you're going on um, Colbert or something else soon. Um, I wish. <laughs> just wait. It, you know, it may happen. It may happen. Um, but before I do that, I'm going to give a couple Ulster County shout outs. I've got a shirt on for the Pines, one of my favorite places to eat and hear music and drink. Shout out to Jeremy. I also pro I promised myself I'd do this. Heavy 
Feather Coffee, made in Mount Tremper. Uh, my friend Jeff runs it. Check them out. Lots of great food, drink, culture, everything in Ulster County. Um, but you are shifting back to current news. You're, you're an intel officer, right? I can't let you leave this show without talking about the breaking news. Trump's got, you know, now been exposed. Documents on the floor of Mar-a-Lago that if you and I had at our homes, we'd still be in jail, you know, decades later. Um, as an intel officer, I think this is going to be another winning issue for you, a unique moment for you to be elevated on the national stage. As an intel officer, can you translate this for people who might not understand why this is so fucking bad? It, it's a, uh, talking to friends. It is. It's like actually unfathomable that there would be this much disrespect for this sacred trust of a, what a security clearance means, which is about the 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 highest order of of national security secrets and, and and also protecting the lives of sources that have risked their lives for our country and our our values and the 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 just disdain and disrespect for for that sacred trust is what really strikes me and anyone who's taken that trust seriously almost can't comprehend that you would just do this that that you that the, the flippancy and the denial and 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 so on but yeah, I, I said it um, in the middle of one of my sleep deprived uh, uh, sessions on TV that I'd be in jail, 100 percent in jail. And people were like, whoa, he's how do, why did he say that? I'm like, because it's true. Absolutely. Um, and you said it, too. And I, I think um, I don't know why we tiptoe around this stuff at this point. We got to call it out for for I mean, it's like a toxic contamination point that's seeping in. And if you don't aggressively cut that off, it'll get to a point where you can't then contain it. Um, but, but specifically some of the caveats, and I'm glad to see on, you know, news coverage that people are diving in and explaining what, what HCS means, what SI means, what Orcon means and, um, helping people understand the, the real world consequences of a source uh, a source's identity or, or an extremely sensitive signals intelligence collection platform being exposed that directly undercuts our national security that literally puts Americans lives at risk. And so we have to be, we have to continue to hammer that. Yeah. I mean, just to, to be specific, there could be the name of a CIA operative on a document where he lives, his address, his phone number, whatever it is, right? Let's just say it's his name and he's a covert operative. It could be on a document. Trump leaves it out at Mar-a-Lago. Any one of the, you know, Mar-a-Lago party people come rolling through. And and if you're Russian and you're not trying to get into Mar-a-Lago, you're not trying. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, this is Putin's sitting there licking his chops going, please give me an easier thing to infiltrate than, than Mar-a-Lago, right? So I think you calling it out and the way you've approached this entire conversation, this entire run is, is I hope a messaging playbook for the president. I hope Biden comes and sees you. I think Biden's starting already to talk more like you. You've seen that in the last couple of days. I think other Democrats are going to continue to do that, but there's also going to be a fight for the soul of the Democratic Party. There's a lot of talk about how we need multiple parties, and I support that. I think it's right. But there's always been a tension between, you know, the, the left wing of the Democratic Party and the more moderate 
part of the Democratic Party. I think we're going to see that cleavage play out a lot in the next couple of, of weeks, especially. But if they're smart, they'll be doing what you do. Um, I'm going to ask you to stick around for one or two more minutes for our Patreon members for some fun questions about your favorite things in Ulster County, what you like to drink and others. But um, I'm going to ask you a really hard question, man. Like what, if uh, if tomorrow it all goes away, right, and and World War III, III does happen, um, what do you want folks to remember about this? Right. Because you could lose in November. Right. And and Absolutely. you serve out your term. You could be, you know, three months in Congress. And I hope you run for governor or run against someone else, whatever else. I, you know, I think you got a long political career ahead of you. But this is a really important and unique moment. Um, and, and if you're writing to you know your son and you want him to know 20 years from now about this moment, what do you what do you want folks to remember and know? The fact that people who who were not directly impacted by this Dobbs decision understood what this means for our broader country and democracy at this fragile moment that we're at, that they understood that it is their duty to stand up for fellow Americans and say, this is not who we are, and that they did that gives me so much damn hope for the country. Forget about the political system. But that is such a, like, I want to bottle that up. <laughs> I want to export it everywhere we can. And, and like, I hoped that we would see more of that during the pandemic at this crisis. I thought that was going to be an opportunity for us to actually come together and remember how interconnected and, and dependent on each other we are. But we had political leaders that used it to divide us instead. So this is an opportunity to say we reminded people again that they have an obligation not just to themselves and their family and their sort of tribe, but to the country. And they actually stepped up and they saw it. And I do think that's what happened here. And that is extremely powerful. Your entire community is proud of you. The veterans community is proud of you. The county is proud of you. America's proud of you. The world is proud of you. And if the Democrats are smart, they'd have you on the short list for VP candidates real quick. Um, because I think you, I, I, I think it's, it's real, man. There, there's, there's a power in what you're saying and a uniqueness to your leadership and a pureness to your heart that um, the Democrats, as an independent, you want to get independents like me, you need more people like Pat Ryan. And and I think that, that that piece of hope that you added at the end is another part of this. The fight with the hope is something that's really resonating with people. I know it's who you really are and it's who America is. So thank you for doing it. I know this has been a grueling thing for you and your family. Um, and thank you in advance to your kids um, for, for everything they're going through. And um, I'm excited to see that the Pat Ryan ship continue to rise because you're a guy who pulls everybody up with you, man. Um, so thank, thank you. you. Congratulations to your team, especially to your wife. This gigantic champagne bottle will eventually get to you. <laughs> thank you, Paul. Yeah. It's a, uh, it means a lot to, to be on with you. Like it really does. So thanks for, Thanks for doing this and the work you're doing too. You got it, man. Give them hell. And, uh, you know, we love Ulster. Is there, is there like a, th a motto for Ulster in Latin or something that like we got, we, maybe we come up with one. We need but it. Like, we, let's know, work on that. Yeah. yeah. You are, you are <laughs> a champion for, for so many folks and we appreciate you, man. Stay vigilant. Thanks Paul. All 
All right, friends, there he is, Pat Ryan. Now you know why the dude is the real deal. Republican, Democrat, Independent, whoever you are, you can appreciate that Pat is out there on the front lines for his community, for our families, and for America. And when I say look for the helpers, Pat is the living embodiment of what I mean. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. We see it every day. No matter how bad or good things get, helpers continue to step up. And this week, we saw another example from another vet. In Bend, Oregon this week, an Army vet died stopping a shooter at a Safeway. A Safeway employee who had served in the U.S. Army for two decades attacked a gunman in the produce section of a Bend, Oregon supermarket this week. He undoubtedly prevented more casualties from a shooting that left the employee and one other person dead. The man was 66-year-old Donald Ray Surratt Jr. of Bend. He was a hero, and his actions saved shoppers at that store in the high desert city ringed by mountains in the central part of the state. According to police... Mr. Surratt engaged with the shooter, attempted to disarm him, and may very well have prevented future deaths. Mr. Surratt acted heroically, turning this terrible event. That's what police spokesman Sheila Miller said as she fought back tears. Deborah Jean Surratt, the ex-wife of Mr. Surratt, who was killed in the attack, told the AP in a phone interview that he served in the Army for 20 years as a combat engineer. And during the 20 years they were married from 1975 to 1995, they were stationed in Germany three times and lived on military bases across the U.S. She said, they're trained to be the first ones to go into war and the last ones to come home. A life of training and experience may have prepared Donald Ray Surratt Jr. for that moment. A moment where he showed all of us that even in the toughest of times, heroes step up. And it's always a time to look for the helpers. If you've got a story about a helper, use the hashtag look for the helpers on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and share yours. I see them and I will continue to share them and we'll continue to share the hope. And when you're on social, play Guess the Guest every Wednesday night. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. I will post a mysterious picture of our upcoming guest where you can't tell who it really is. You have to guess the guest based on what they're wearing, who they're with, where they are. It's fun. Every Wednesday on social, play guess the guest. Guess the next guest on Independent Americans. Play, win, get fame and fortune, or at least some Twitter love. Nobody got Dan Lamoth from the Washington Post, our excellent guest from the last episode. Uh, nobody picked him out. But uh, did anyone get Pat Ryan? No. As of Wednesday, 1055, nobody got Pat Ryan. But it's also the end of August and a lot of you are on vacation. But nevertheless, go to independentamericans.us to get video of my conversation with Pat Ryan, with Dan Lamoth, and all our past episodes. Lots of good stuff there. And speaking of Dan Lamoth, this week is the anniversary of the last U.S. service member to leave Afghanistan. Remember that night vision photo of the one guy getting on an aircraft? Well, that happened one year ago this week. And we covered 
the one-year anniversary of the debacle in Afghanistan, in the last episode with Dan Lamoth from The Washington Post, a fantastic national security and defense reporter, joined us. We also talked about Syria and how the U.S. was conducting airstrikes there. And right after the episode dropped on Thursday, three U.S. service members were injured in two separate rocket attacks that hit U.S. housing facilities inside Syria. So right after we dropped that, a lot of related stuff happened, and most of America hasn't even heard about it. And you can find that episode, which also gives us a good look into what U.S. warfare might look like in the future. Where might there be strikes next? From the Arctic to Africa, we talk about it. More at independentamericans.us, where you can also get our merch, support this show, represent for independence everywhere. And you can also support this show by joining our Patreon community. These are folks that volunteer to chip in a little bit to help keep this train running. And I always want to give them a shout out. The vigilant, the very vigilant, and the most vigilant. These are folks that get exclusive content that everybody else doesn't get. You get merch discounts, you get access to events, and you help us keep this going. I want to thank all those members, and especially the newest ones, Martha Jane King and Denise Kipschul. I'm trying to work on my German from high school. But, Denise, I hope I didn't butcher your last name. Thanks to you and Martha Jane for joining us, for being new members of the Patreon community. Please help us keep spreading the word about everything we do. They help power this show and everything we do at Righteous Media, and Righteous will continue to bring you the five eyes in all our podcasts, in all our TV shows, in all our movies, and in everything we do now and in the future. And that's centered around the five eyes, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And it's possible only thanks to the fabulous, fantastic, mighty, righteous media team that's been powering this summer, especially led by the mastermind himself, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant and never-endingly patient Bill Schultz, who is editing this right now after many technical difficulties on my end, and precise Paula Hernandez. And it's, of course, powered by the most critical part of our team, my amazing wife and my fearless, fantastic, exhausting two boys. This is another song that is in our summer playlist and my boys have been loving and sort of driving me crazy with. It's Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Yes, what's old is new again. If you remember Rescue Rangers with Chippendale, well, it's back 2022 style. And this is a remake of their classic theme song by Post Malone. So Post Malone and Chippendale are together. Not that Chippendale, the Chippendale, the Chipmunks. But anyway, the song is about the show, which is about the helpers, Chippendale. I've been trying to teach my boys to be helpers all summer long. And another great example for them, strangely, is Chippendale. They're rescue rangers. They jump in when there's danger. Once they're involved, somehow whatever's wrong gets solved. But this song is another part of an amazing summer that was wild and weird and wonderful all at the same time. School starts next week. The weather's getting cold. The leaves are changing. And we're going to milk every day out of this summer and go out with a bang. We've been hitting balls. We've been swimming. We've been hiking. We've been out in the river. We've been listening to as much music as possible. We've just been having fun whenever we can. And that included going to an amazing event called the Summer Hoot. 
which is a folk music festival, a camp extravaganza, an art display, and all kinds of other stuff where you go swimming in a beautiful place in the Ashokan. Anyway, it's a great event. I highly recommend it. It always happens the last weekend in August. The Mammals are the headliners and the band that made it happen in the spirit of Pete Seeger. And at the Hoot on the Hill, the kids are playing all day long. And at one point, a wagon that a baby that I didn't know and my three-year-old son were in started to slowly roll away. It wasn't rolling away quickly, but it started to roll away. Anyway, my seven-year-old rider ran up, grabbed the wagon before anybody else even noticed, stopped it, and then reached in and pulled out the baby and then reached in and pulled out his brother. He didn't know anybody was watching, but he was just trying to do the right thing. And there was Ryder being a helper with a wagon at the hoop. That's a lot of what this summer has been for us. Being outside, being around music, fishing, swimming, playing baseball, and much of it in Ulster County, the great place that produced Pat Ryan. And the place that's been a very special home for us for over two years now. We came up here when the pandemic hit. We went from lower Manhattan to a mountain in the Catskills. And it's been hard, and it's been wild, and it's been amazing. And as the summer comes to an end, we're moving. We're moving back to the city. So this will be the last show, at least for now, that I record up here in the mountains. And it's kind of poetic and beautiful that it ends up being a conversation with the guy who grew up here, who now represents this amazing place. So much love and deepest thanks to all our friends in this area, especially everybody on the mountain and in the area who showed my boys so much love during these hard times. So we're moving. I got a lot to do. I got a lot of house to get into a small apartment. So next week, you will be getting a best of the summer show. Big thanks to Chris in advance for putting that together. But we're going to brew up something special and new for you featuring the best of what's happened in the past. You're going to want to check it out. They're always fun. When I get back, it'll be a new month, a new location, and a new season. And football will be back. But before that, I hope you enjoy your Labor Day weekend. And we'll move onward together when we're back. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And if you listen to this show, you know you're not alone in your vigilance. There are many of us that are vigilant, and we're all in this together. From Kingston, New York, to New Paul's, to West Point, to Baghdad, from Gardner to Phoenicia, to Woodstock, to Margaretville, to Boysville, to Washington, to the covert American operators overseas, and to their families at home whose names might be in the documents that were laying around Mar-a-Lago. From Flo Rida, to Chippendale, to Post Malone. From Cadet Pat Ryan, to Captain Pat Ryan, to County Executive Pat Ryan, to Congressman-elect Pat Ryan, to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening all summer long. Boys, can you say to everybody, happy end of the summer. Happy heaven, happy end of the summer. Happy end of summer. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. And stay vigilant, America. See you in September. Powered by Righteous Media.